good. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be looking at Peter's sermon. Uh, we've already looked at one. This will be the second recorded uh, sermon that we're going to be looking at from Peter. Um, Peter is seeking to answer this question. Who is Jesus? Everyone must answer this question. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is this man? How do we how do we answer that question? And to even try to not answer that question is actually answering the question. When, when, when you try to answer the question, who is Jesus, and you say, well, I don't want to answer that question, then you've already answered it by saying Jesus is unimportant. It's not an important question to answer. So, who is Jesus? Everyone must answer this question. In Jesus' day, there were lots of answers. There were lots of answers that people gave as they sought to define or understand who this um, Galilean peasant was. Some called him a traitor. Some called him a rabble rouser. Some called him a glutton or a drunkard. Some even called Jesus a blasphemer. When they sought to answer the question, who is Jesus, some answered the question that way. Others answered the question this way. Well, um, he's a good teacher. Or he's, a, he's a, a rabbi. Or Nicodemus said, I know that you're sent from God. And then others still in Jesus' day answered the question this way. You're the Christ. You're God. You're Savior. You're Messiah. You're Lord. And so that's how they answered it then. And that's how they answer it today. The, those are essentially the three ways, the three views that people will have. They, they fall into those three categories. Either he is a villain, he was a crazy egomaniac seeking to lead people astray, or he was neutral. He's a, he's a good teacher. I mean, he had some interesting things to say. He might even be a good role model for some people, but divine or God, I don't know about that. He, he's essentially neutral. Or, again, the third category being he's hero, he's king, he's Christ, he's Lord, he's God, he's our Savior, he's our Messiah. So the question is, which one's right? Well, as Christians, what do we believe? We believe that Jesus is the hero. He's king. He's Christ. He's Lord. We, we see him as we open up the scriptures and our, our hearts are stirred for, for this man, Jesus Christ. So when we seek to answer this question, who is Jesus? We say, he's our God. He's our Savior. He's whom we worship. He is worth devoting our life to. He's glorious. He's, he's magnificent. He's above every other name. He is Jesus. That's how we answer it. Now, as I thought about that question this week, I thought, where's the disconnect? I mean, this is how we answer the question, right? As, as Christians, you, you would say you would answer in that third category, wouldn't you? We, th this is who Jesus is. We love him. We praise him. We sing to him. He's, he's God above all. And so as we open up the scriptures, our hearts are stirred for this man, Jesus Christ, because this is how we define who he is. The question is, why don't other people see it that way? 
when, when other people seek to answer this question, who is Jesus, why don't they answer it like we answer it? If we open up the Bible and we read the stories and we, we share with them, don't you, don't you see here, like, this is, this is how you define Jesus. I don't understand why you're defining it the way you're defining it. Don't you see it my way? Don't you see that Jesus is King, Christ, Lord, God? Don't, don't you see that from the scriptures? And, and they might say, well, no, I don't see that. And so I started thinking this week, why don't they see it? Okay, so we have to begin with, we know that to be sin. That, that's a problem of sin. Sin has a blinding effect. So, so people who don't see it this way, they're, they're being blinded by sin to not see the truth and reality of who Jesus is. But practically on the ground, I think there are two main problems when we seek to answer this question, who is Jesus? Okay, I think the two main problems are people are uninformed or they're misinformed. Okay, those, are, those are the two main problems that as I've shared my faith with people, as I've talked to people who don't see Jesus the way I see Jesus, I've found that people are uninformed or they're misinformed. Okay, so, so people who are uninformed essentially have bought a bill of goods um, from this day and age that has led them astray. Okay, the, the, this day and age, the, the world that we live in uh, essentially says what you believe is right. Okay, whatever it is that you believe is, is right and correct and, and just go with that. You can be a law unto yourself. What's important is that you decide for yourself. Now, if you come to the wrong conclusion, that's not what's important. What's important is for you to decide on your own what you believe about Jesus. So as I've shared my faith with people, and I'm saying, no, no, this is who Jesus is, and they say, well, I don't think Jesus is that. Well, why don't you? Well, because I don't think that. Huh? <laughs> But that is, again, that, that's the air that we breathe. That's the culture that we live in. People simply don't want to do research. They don't want to read their books. They don't want to listen to lectures. They, they, they don't want to really learn about it and open up God's word and see for themselves. They're totally fine with just coming to their own conclusions on their own. So they, they define who Jesus is incorrectly because they're uninformed. They just decided on their own. Now, the scariest thing about this position is oftentimes when people are uninformed and they seek to define who Jesus is, Jesus becomes just like they are. <laughs> they, they essentially begin to define God just like them. So if they're an aggressive person, guess what? God is aggressive, mean, nasty. He's ready to punch you in the face. If they're a passive person, guess what God is like? Well, he's very passive. If they're an emotional person, guess what God is like? He's very emotional. If they're a cold person, guess what God is like? He's very cold. This is what often happens when people are uninformed. They simply define Jesus or define God by who they are. This is why um, a guy like Hitler can say, I identify with Jesus in his struggle against the Jews. What? What Bible are you reading? Right? But... But, but you see how that happens. Even an evil, wicked guy like Hitler, he saw God just like he saw himself. Now, what that does is it inverts or flips over God's plan. God's plan is to come and save us and conform us to his image, not for us to conform him to our image. So, 
that is the main problem with people who are simply uninformed and think, well, as long as I define who God is, what's important is that I define it. Those people are uninformed and come to the wrong conclusion. They make statements like, well, I just don't think God would, or God would never do this. And then when you say, well, where do you get that from? Well, I just don't think he would. Okay, is that what you think God thinks, or is that what you think? So, okay, I'll I'll just be controversial. I don't think God, if two people loved each other, no matter their sex, I don't think God would frown upon that if they got married. I I just don't think that. I don't think God would, would do that. I don't think God would shun that. I don't think God would be angry about that. Okay, why do you think that? Well, I just don't think God would. Those people are uninformed. They're uninformed about who Jesus is. The, the other people may, might not be uninformed, but they're misinformed. So, so those are the two great problems. People who are uninformed, people who are misinformed when seeking to answer this question. They've been misinformed by mainstream media. They might say something like this. Oh, I watched the History Channel. And I saw a documentary talking about the real Jesus, right, that, that said he was married to, you know, Mary and uh, didn't really die on the cross. And, you know, I watched the history show. Oh, I read the Da Vinci Code. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. But really? The Da Vinci Code is found in the fiction section in the bookstore. The the History Channel will show that documentary about the real Jesus, and right after it will show a documentary about how the aliens landed and explained to the Egyptians how to build the pyramids. Okay, Just because it's on History Channel does not make it true. People are misinformed when it comes to defining who Jesus is. Other people are misinformed by their parents, well-meaning parents who may or may not love Jesus, but well-meaning parents who say things like, well, you know, son... God helps those who help themselves, found in the book of hesitations. You know, it's like, that's not even in the Bible. But they, they, they are misinformed from their parents and grow up having really set ways about thinking about who Jesus is because they've been misinformed by mainstream media, misinformed by their parents, misinformed by well-meaning pastors, okay, who will preach only on the wrath of God. Or well-meaning pastors who will preach only on the love of God and, and, and not show people God is a God of wrath and God is a God of love. And so, again, people get a misinformed perspective on who Jesus is. Or they'll say things like, well, I went to college and my professor said this or that. Again, professors who worship the God of intellect and because things that are miraculous can't be quantified, they dismiss them. Misinformed. So, we must, we must, as Christians, as people who love Jesus, as people who claim to know who Jesus is, we must seek to inform the uninformed, we must seek to inform the misinformed. And so, in Peter's sermon, that's what he's seeking to do. These people are uninformed, these people are misinformed, and so, the sermon that he preaches today, he is going to proclaim loudly, this is who Jesus is. That's what he's going to say in his sermon today. Now, the question is, how do we know Peter is informed and not misinformed? Matthew 16, 13 through 17. Now, 
When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Okay, he's asking them, who do people say I am? This Son of Man was one of Jesus' favorite ways to talk about himself from the book of Daniel. Okay, so he's saying, hey, who are people saying I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Listen to what Simon Peter replies. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who Peter said he is. Okay. Now, this is so interesting. Watch this. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Today, we're going to hear Peter proclaim who Jesus is. Now, how do we know that Peter knows who Jesus is? Because God the Father in heaven told him. That's a pretty good reference, don't you think? If he says this is who Jesus is, I'm willing to listen. So, that's what we're going to see today. Um, if you haven't been with us, let me catch you up very quickly. If you weren't here last week, uh, Jesus has ascended into heaven. Um, after that, he said, wait, wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit shows up, mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire. They start speaking in other languages. There's a great crowd that's drawn. Peter preaches. 3,000 people get saved. The church grows from 120 people to 3,120 people in one sermon. Then what we saw at the, beginning of, uh, at the end of chapter 2 was a picture of the New Testament church. What were they doing? Well, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of the bread and the prayers and day by day in one another's homes, uh, attending the temple, all that stuff. And then at the beginning of chapter 3, this was last week, we saw um, a, a snapshot of something that happened, an event that happened while they were on the way to the temple. There's Peter, there's John, they're on their way to the temple, and a man that they had likely passed a hundred times is sat at the gate in front of the temple asking for alms, asking for help. And so uh, Peter makes this very famous statement, one that we likely all know. He says to him, the, the beggar, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto thee. Okay, that's the King James. I apologize. Um, I, I don't have any money, okay? I, I'm, I'm not a rich guy, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. And at that, he reaches down, he grabs the beggar's hand and snatches him up. And his ankle bones and his feet snap into place. This man who had been lame from birth is now walking, leaping, and jumping and praising God in the temple. That's, that's what we looked at last week. Now, we didn't get to this because I wanted to preach it this week. What we talked about last week was healing and miracles. We, we didn't get to the point of the miracle. Okay, We, we just talked about the miracle. We, we didn't land the plane last week. And so this week, I, I want to land the plane. And that's what Peter is, is going to do. Because listen, the miracle was not done for miracle sake. God wasn't healing this guy just to heal him. Okay. In the end, the guy dies, right? I mean, this beggar isn't walking around today, is he? So at some point, even though God had healed him, he still gets sick, old, and dies. So God didn't really fix all of his problems. If God wanted to fix all of his problems, he wouldn't have had Peter heal him, right? What he would have done is just taken him up to heaven. 
No sin, no shame, no pain, and ultimately receiving a resurrection body on the day of the Lord? I mean, that sounds like a better plan for this beggar than just to heal his ankles and his legs um, for, for a little while, and he's still in his old sinful body that still continues to decay and die. Okay, so, so again, what's God doing here? He wasn't just healing him to heal him. He was healing him so that the miracle would be a platform for proclamation. You guys get that? The miracle was a platform for proclamation. What happened in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit comes, tongues of fire, something miraculous. And what miraculous happens? All of them are speaking languages that they previously did not know. And then what happens? Peter stands and preaches. The miraculous happened as a platform for the proclamation of who God is. Now, had anybody else modeled this for the disciples? <laughs> Jesus, absolutely. John chapter 5, he heals the, the, the guy at the pool of Bethesda. The miracle was a platform for Jesus to then proclaim, I am equal with God the Father. He feeds the 5,000, right? That miracle was a platform for Jesus to then proclaim, I am the bread of life. I, I've, just, I've just done this cool miracle. All of you have bread now, okay? I'm the bread of life. The miracle was a platform for proclamation. In John chapter 11, he resurrects Lazarus back from the dead as a platform to proclaim, I am the resurrection. This is how Jesus' ministry went. Miracles are a platform for the proclamation. We get in Acts chapter 2, we see it happen. Acts chapter 3, the same thing happens. So, if the healing of this beggar in chapter 3, is a platform for proclamation, the question becomes, what does Peter want to proclaim? Well, he wants to proclaim who Jesus is. He wants to tell the people. He wants to tell them, you're uninformed. You're misinformed. You don't know who Jesus is, so let me tell you who he is. So, here are the four things I think is there. He, he's probably proclaiming more. But if you're a note taker, you can write these down as we go. In Peter's sermon, we will see that Jesus is the glorified servant, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, and the healer. That's what we're going to see. Jesus is the glorified servant, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, and the healer. Let's go ahead and get into our text today. We're going to read 11 through 12, and then we're going to discuss it. Here we go, 11 through 12. While he, that is the beggar, okay, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people were utterly astounded and ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this man walk? Okay, he just got healed. Um, he's clinging to Peter and John. Obviously, we know not for physical support. We saw him leaping and jumping, but he is so thankful to God. He is thankful to these men. Why? Because they allowed themselves to be used of God. And so Peter is going to preach a sermon um, with a live standing visual aid. 
That's what's about to happen. His visual aid is standing there, clinging on to him as Peter is about to preach the sermon. It says they all ran to them. Um, What's happening in the temple is quiet, solemn worship. The quiet, solemn worship of God. And then all of a sudden, this guy comes, you know, kangaroo hopping through the temple, screaming hallelujah. Okay, It caused a bit of a ruckus, and so people are just kind of drawn to it, and they just kind of head that way. This happened to me the other day when um, I was in uh, a store in the pavilion, and I heard some yelling and shouting, and I was like, what is happening? And and it got louder and louder, and I thought, well, better go see what it is. Like, I I don't know what that is inside of us that makes us do that, but someone's yelling and screaming, I better go check it out. So I head that way, and there's a police officer tackling a shoplifter. And as I stood there, just more people gather around, and more people gather around, and I thought, hey, this is kind of like the text that I'm preaching. There there was a noise, there was a commotion, there was a ruckus, and so people began to gather around. So again, I want you to get this picture in your mind. Just all these people who have come to worship, they're, they're hearing this noise, they start to head towards it. There stands Peter, there stands John, there stands the man whom everyone in that crowd has passed a hundred times, and he's standing, leaping for joy and praising God. And Peter asks an amazing question you got to love Peter. There stands the healed, okay, healed beggar, and he goes, what are you guys staring at? (laughs) Well, Peter, uh, we're staring at the beggar whom you healed. That's what we're staring at, right? I mean, it's a seemingly dumb question, okay? Now, if you've been married for longer than five minutes, you've probably asked a dumb question. You have been sitting on the couch, Your spouse has walked through the room, stubbed their toe on the coffee table, commenced to cuss the coffee table, and you ask this question, hey, did you stub your toe? (laughs) No, I like kicking coffee tables, and now I'm just cussing at it for fun. Yes, I stubbed my toe, right? We, We ask dumb questions sometimes. This is seemingly a dumb question that Peter asks. I mean, look at it. Look at it again. And when Peter saw, he addressed the men of Israel. Why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us? Well, we're staring at you because there's a healed guy there. This isn't normal. This is out of the norm. That's why we're staring at you. Well, the truth of the matter um, is that this was not a stupid question at all. This is a blind crowd. This is not a stupid question. This is a blind crowd. He says, why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have healed this man? Okay? He's not asking a dumb question. Obviously, something miraculous has happened. But what the crowd thought was that Peter and John, by their own power or piety, had done this. They're they're really, I mean, because really holy and righteous people, God likes to do stuff for them more than other people, right? That's what the crowd's thinking. Okay, so, so these guys, if they healed this man, they must be really, really religious. I mean, and, and so let's hang on to them. Let's cling on to them because they must have some type of insider wisdom about God that we don't know about. So, so it's Peter and John that they're focusing on. And, and the question is, why are you staring at us as if we did something? Again, what's happening here is the crowd, look, the crowd is looking at a beautiful piece of art. Okay? The, the crowd is looking at a, a beautiful piece of art, the, the lame man who's healed. And they're going, these are awesome paintbrushes, instead of acknowledging the artist. 
that makes sense? They're, they're, they're looking at the painting. They're, they're looking at this beautiful piece of art going, those, those paintbrushes are incredible. And the artist is standing there going, I, I kind of, ah, never mind. You know? So, so that's, that's why he asked that question. That's why he asked that question. Why, why are you staring at us as if it was our power that did this? So now what he's going to do is he's going to shift the attention from himself and John and the beggar and begin to proclaim who Jesus is. Why are you staring at us? We have no power. We have no piety. It is all in Jesus, and it's Jesus who has healed this man. Verse um, 13 the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Number one, Peter is proclaiming that Jesus is the glorified servant. He begins with, you know, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. You guys know who that God is, right? Again, this crowd has been misinformed. So he's trying to inform them. He's trying to bring them in and bring them to a reference point that they understand. They understand the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. You guys know that God, and they're going, yeah, we know him. Okay, well, here's what he did. He glorified. He glorified Jesus. Why did he glorify Jesus? Well, because God the Father sent Jesus, the greatest missionary ever, into our world. What did he do? He lived a perfectly obedient life. He lived the life that we should have lived. And then he goes to the cross, and what he does on the cross is take our rightful punishment. That should have been us up on that cross. We deserve to die for our sins. Instead, Jesus dies for us, in our place, for our sins. Then God resurrects him, and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. That's glorified. Right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning over the entire universe, glorified. That's what Peter is saying. You know that God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, what did he do? Well, he glorified Jesus. Not only does he say he glorified him, but it says he glorified his servant, Jesus. He glorified his servant, Jesus. He could have said he glorified his son, or he glorified the Christ, or he glorified the Messiah. Why does Peter, in his sermon here, use this word servant? Well, again... He's bringing them back to a reference point. And as soon as he said that word, all of their minds went, oh, oh, yeah, of course, Isaiah. Isaiah 52, verse 13. Here's what it says. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. There's that word. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up or glorified. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Peter is taking them back to the Old Testament and saying, this is who Jesus is. He is the glorified servant. That's who Jesus is. Don't, don't you see that? He, he's trying to inform the misinformed. He's trying to inform the uninformed and explain to them, you know the God that you worship? What did he do with Jesus? Well, he glorified him as the servant. The big question there is, if this is what God did with him, what did you do with him? Speaking to the crowd. God glorified him. God raised him from the dead. 
God seated him at the right hand, a place of power, ruling and reigning over the entire universe. What did you, crowd, what did you do with him? Well, it says you delivered him over and denied him. The contrast is God's perspective, okay, God the Father's perspective on Jesus and the crowd's perspective on Jesus. God glorified him, you denied him. The question is, why did they deny him? They denied him because they didn't know who he was. If, if they had known, if they had only known, if they had really known deep down in their soul who Jesus was, they would not have denied him. They, they would have glorified him as well. They would have praised him. They would have loved him. They, I mean, they, they would have died for him if, if, they, if they would have known. They would only known who he, who he was. In the same way, when I see people who I know, people in the church even, lost people, when I see them not loving Jesus, when I see them not serving Jesus, the, the answer to that can be boiled down to, they don't know my Jesus. If they're not willing to lay their life down, if they're not willing to, to live their whole life for Jesus, if they're, if they're not willing to serve the local church, if they're, if they're not willing just to say, Jesus, whatever I have and all that I am is yours, if they're not willing to say that, they don't know who Jesus is. They missed it. They're misinformed or they're uninformed. So Peter here is trying to set the record straight and tell people Jesus is the glorified servant. Verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus is the holy and righteous one. Now, this word holy means to be set apart. It, it means consecrated. It means otherly. It means different, okay? The, the holy and righteous one. If you remember, um, again, in Isaiah chapter 6, where um, Isaiah goes and, and visits the Lord and those big giant angels, you remember that, that part of Isaiah, those angels are, are, are saying about God, Holy, holy, holy. Jesus is the holy and righteous one. He was totally otherly. Yes, he was in every way like us. He was in every way tempted like we are tempted. Yet, this is what makes him different. Uh, this is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Yet without sin. He, he was tempted just like us, yet without sin. So that's what makes him holy and righteous and otherly. Okay, again, look at the contrast. I want to read this verse again. I want you to look at the contrast because Peter here is saying, this is the holy and righteous one. What did you do with the holy and righteous one? Look back at verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. I want you to get that picture back in your mind that these are the very people that as Jesus stands there and as Pilate stands there and he says, hey, I'll release him. I'll release him. You, you guys can have him. And the crowd began to shout, we want Barabbas. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. Barabbas was a murderer. Barabbas was a terrible guy. And the crowd, the very crowd that Peter is now preaching to, he's saying, the holy and righteous one, what'd you do with them? You chose the murderer over the life giver. That's what you did. You denied him. 
Again, th- this sermon is not a soft sermon. Th- this is not, I mean, he, he is, this indictment has a stinger on it. He, I mean, he is putting his finger in their chest and saying, he's the holy and righteous. I mean, he is totally blameless. And you denied him and chose Barabbas over Jesus. What, what, what's happening? Why would they do that? Why would they choose the murderer? Why would they choose the one who is guilty over the one who is not guilty? Why would they choose the one who has no standing with God over the one who has right standing with God? That's that righteous one. Why would they do that? Because they didn't know who Jesus is. They missed it. They missed it. So, that's why Peter says this. Verse 15. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Number three in your notes, Jesus is the author of life. He's the author of life. Guys, I want you to see this. Jesus is the holy and righteous one. Jesus is the author of life. Okay. Jesus is the holy and righteous one. And, and, and I don't want you to, like the crowd, miss your need for the holy and righteous one. That, that was the problem that the crowd had. They missed the fact that they needed the holy and righteous one. They discarded him. They denied the holy and righteous one. We need the holy and righteous one. Why? Because we are not holy or righteous. You have no leg to stand on in front of God. You have no platform to speak from. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. What I need is an alien righteousness. What I need is a righteousness or a holiness that is outside of myself. So I must run to Christ. Why? Because he is the source of that righteousness. He gives me right standing with God. So on the day of judgment, I can stand. And when God says, you sinned against me, you sinned against a holy God, I can say, Jesus. And that will be my only plea. We need the holy and righteous one. So he is the holy and righteous one. Again, number three, Jesus is the author of life. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. This is an amazing section of scripture. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peter here in this text says, You killed the author of life. You executed the greatest oxymoron um, in all of humanity. You killed the author of life. This text here in Colossians says that in him everything is. Everything that has physical life comes through 
Jesus. He's the author of it all, from the bird that flies in the air to the beasts that roam the fields. Jesus gave them life, from the smallest blade of grass in your yard to the tallest redwood in the forest. Jesus gave that life, from the infant to the elderly. He is the one who is the life giver. He is the author of life. I was thinking about this text the other day when um, I was putting my daughter down for a nap and she lay on my chest and her heart beat and I felt her sleepy breath on my neck. And, and I said, God, you're, you're the life giver. You're the life giver, the author of life. Not only is Jesus the author of all life everywhere, all physical life, he's also the author of all spiritual life. John 14 Six, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the author of all physical life. Jesus is the author of all spiritual life. That if anyone comes to love and serve God, they came through Jesus. They, they go from spiritual death to spiritual life through Jesus' atoning death on the cross. This is what Peter is saying to this crowd. Guys, don't you see who Jesus is? Don't you see the intrinsic value of Christ? He's so valuable. He's so worthy. And what did you do? You, you discarded it. You, you threw it away. Why did you guys do that? Well, Peter knows they did it because they didn't know who Jesus is. So here he's just trying to tell them. Don't you see? He's the holy and righteous one. He's the author of all life. Don't you see how valuable Christ is? Don't you see how worthy Christ is? He's the glorified servant. Come on, people. Don't you see this? That's what Peter is saying. Verse 16. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know and the faith that is through, I'm going to come back to that word, that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Again, he is proclaiming the value of Christ. He is trying to tell them who Jesus is and how amazing he is and how valuable he is. And, and what he says here is this man is healed, okay, by the faith that is through Jesus. So the, the huckster faith healers who want to tell you, if you just have enough faith, then you will be healed. That is false and a lie. Look at this text again. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus. How did this man get healed? It was not his faith, but it was the faith that is through Jesus, meaning Jesus is the one who gave the man the faith to believe in him so that he was healed. It, it wasn't even his own faith that he had to muster up. I believe, I believe, I believe, so that he got healed. That's not the way it worked. Jesus, through Peter, gave the guy the faith so that he could believe. So, number four, and lastly, Jesus is the healer. Peter is not the healer. The, the beggar's faith, is, faith on his own wasn't what healed him, but Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the glorified servant. Jesus is the holy and righteous one. Jesus is the life giver, and Jesus is the healer. 
I'll say the same thing I said last week. Have you come here today needing to be healed? Many of you have walked in this room with emotional burdens and emotional baggage. You you might not have walked in here on crutches physically, but spiritually and emotionally you have. You've come here today physically or emotionally um, crippled and, and you're in need of healing. You're in need of healing from a father figure wound. You're in need of healing because you were sexually abused. You're in need of healing uh, because your marriage is falling apart. You're in need uh, of healing because of the strained relationship with your mother. You're in need of healing because someone all your life told you that you were stupid and that you're never going to amount to anything. And if you've come here today in need of healing, I want you to hear me. I know the healer. (laughs) And his name is Jesus. And if it be his will... He heals. He heals when he wants. He heals how he wants because Jesus is the healer. He healed this beggar, and I've seen him heal marriages. I've seen him heal people's lives. I've seen him heal addictions. Jesus is the healer. He's the healer. At the end of our service, we're going to offer you a time to to come and, and receive prayer. And so if you're here today and, and you're saying, that, that's me, I'll, I want to pray with somebody, we'll, we'll be in the back and, and we want to pray with you for emotional healing. We want to pray for you for the, the strains that you've carried in here today. A couple of application points and then I'm out of your hair. Number one, see Jesus for who he is. See Jesus for who he really is. Peter just proclaimed who Jesus really is. And and again, Peter is an authority on the issue. God himself, God the Father, revealed to Peter who Jesus is. And here Peter stands proclaiming to the crowd, this is who he is. He's the life giver. He's the glorified servant. He's he's the healer. He's the life giver. Don't you see who he is? Application point number two. Acknowledge the great value in Jesus. So I'd, I don't want you just to say, yes, I agree with you, Kirk. He is the life giver. He is all those things that you say. But I want you to see that and acknowledge the intrinsic value of it. I want you to see who Jesus is and therefore see the value that is in Christ. See, the, see, see how amazing he is. See how glorious Jesus is. That's what I want you to see. Thirdly, Live a life of worship and devotion to Jesus. If you see him, okay, follow my train of thought here. If if you see him and you see the value in him intrinsically, then everything else in your life seems less valuable. So therefore, you begin to devote everything to him because he's worthy. If I see him and I see how valuable he is, I just go, man, I I just want to give my whole life to him. I I just want to devote everything I have to him. I want my family to be devoted to Jesus. I want my hobbies to be devoted to Jesus. I want my money to be devoted to Jesus. Why? Because he's worthy. Because he's valuable. He's valuable enough. That's what Peter is doing here. He's trying to get these people to a place to where they see Jesus They see the intrinsic value in Jesus, and as a result of seeing who Jesus really is, 
by, by seeing the value in them, they, they just say, all right, we're in. We're going we're gonna to give it all to Jesus. My family is for Jesus. My time is for Jesus. My money is for Jesus. My life is for Jesus. Now that I've seen how amazing and how valuable he is. So I'll end with this. Do you know Jesus? Do you know my Jesus? Do you know the Jesus of the Bible? If so, does your life reflect that? Does your life reflect the value and the awesomeness of who Christ is? Pray with me. Father, um, I'm so thankful that you revealed to Peter um, who your son is. I'm thankful that you've shown me through your word how awesome Jesus is, how satisfying life in Jesus is. Father, I pray here today, the people in this room, their eyes would be opened more and more and more to see the glorified servant, to see how awesome you are, to see how life-changing you are, to see how worthy you are of total and utter devotion. Father, I pray for those who came here today um, carrying burdens, carrying weights. I pray for those today who have come in crippled and broken. Father, as a, speaking as a broken man, I, I know I need healing today. I know the people in this room need healing today, and I just pray that um, you would help them to step out of their comfort zone and come and ask for prayer, prayer for healing. God, I just I pray that now. I pray you would send your spirit, the presence of your spirit, just in a mighty, mighty way to fall upon this room, to fall upon the hearts of the people in this room, to surrender themselves, to say, I'm broken and I need healing, and I know Jesus is the healer. Would you pray with me? I pray that that happens today. Above all, God, again, I pray that we would see Jesus, we would see his value, we would see his worth, and from that, we would live lives of total and utter devotion to Jesus, his church, and his great mission. We ask all these things in that mighty name, the name of Jesus, amen.